that's the hardest thing I think is exactly what you're saying is helping people to make that revelation, but not in a way that feels judgmental or scary. And you have to evaluate every single person you meet because we're all at such different points with our relationship to food. And we're also so attached to food so near and dear to us that we feel personally attacked when someone attacks the way that we eat, which is crazy, but it's true. And that's why it's such a sensitive topic that I feel like I just talk so much about because I just never want people to feel judged by a professional. And I think a lot of RDs still do that. And that's really hard, but I think the field is moving in a new way. And I'm really excited about that. Hi there, and welcome to the Let's Thrive podcast. My name is Emily Feichels, and I started this page to inspire, educate, and empower any who listen. Like most people, I'm a curious soul and love to chat with my guests on all things health, wellness, spirituality, entrepreneurship, and so much more. I hope you'll stick around for a time or two. And with that said, let's thrive. Hi there, and welcome back to the Let's Thrive podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and thank you for joining us today, whether you're new or not. I appreciate you. So now, I have a very important question to ask you. Do you think that music or a movie or a TV show, what have you, can contain bad energy? Now, hear me out. I know, like, not not even bad, but just, like, dark, you know? Like, the energy of, it doesn't feel good. But, okay, let me explain because this has been on my mind and it is too long to write into an Instagram caption so you guys get this like thought process of mine, okay? And I want to hear your opinion. So a few weeks ago, well, no, no, well, just like a week ago, I think, a couple days, whatever, I started a second free trial on Netflix using my card this time so that I could get like extra bang for my buck, you know? And I just wanted to watch some Christmas movies, that's all. But the one night after I watched this fun Christmas movie that got me in such a good mood, I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just gonna watch one other show because I was home alone, my family was out of town till the next day, I had nothing else to do. So, well, I did. I had a lot to do, but I didn't feel like doing it that late at night. So I was like, I'll just watch one more. So I start this series and I had all intention to just have a fun, chill evening get to sleep early, and start that Monday off to a good start, but the second I started watching this series called You, I couldn't stop. I watched five freaking episodes until 2 a.m. and felt like a freaking zombie stumbling around my house all alone in the dark. I live in, like, a village, so, like, I am in the dark. I'd only have, like, one set of neighbors freaking me out, like, just don't know why I did that to me. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, the show is beautifully written, expertly crafted, but it's about a guy who just, like, stalks this girl in New York City because he wants to become her perfect guy so that they date, and then they start dating, and he's, like, killing people that are interfering, and she doesn't know it, and he's, like, super charming but super creepy, and the best part is, is that just like a book, you're in his thoughts the entire time, so that's what makes it so alluring because it's not like, a typical show or movie where you don't have that point of view like you you hear everything he's thinking and that's what makes it so creepy but also so addicting anywho so I just I don't know I don't like the fact that I was so addicted to it because <laughs> like that already gives me bad vibes because I just as many of you can relate I haven't had the best uh, experience with addictive personalities or different addictive habits, I should say. You know, like with food, with health, with exercise. Not the best. For some people, it might be with alcohol or multiple, multiple things it could be. But anyway, so I just don't like anything that has such an addictive quality to it. So that already kind of got me feeling like, ooh, I don't know if I like that. And then two, it's just like, what the hell? Like, that is something it's such a twisted show. (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. It's amazingly written. Like, kudos to whoever crafted it. But it is so twisted and creepy. And like, I shouldn't be watching that on my own, in the dark, like that late at night. So I don't know. It was just like, I couldn't get it out of my mind for the next 
like 24 freaking hours kind of like grew into my next day and I don't know I've just I've had this before too like you listen to a song or you listen or you watch a movie and it just feels like something dark is in the air around you I don't know maybe I'm very like over the top woo woo energetic with this but I'm sure some of you can relate <laughs> and if you can't I'm sorry you had to listen to me ramble about this but I don't know nobody like my brother and dad don't understand so I had to come to my podcast community and just go along with it so yeah I'm sorry I guess that stuff's just not for me anywho side tangent aside we have a fire episode for you today and it's so good that I decided to release it before Christmas because I'm just so pumped that I can't wait any longer So my dear friend Mallory Page is on the podcast today and can we just take a minute to appreciate that name? Mallory. So pretty, eloquent, then her nickname is Mal. That is so fun. Like I, I love that and I'm sorry if that seems weird but I do and I'm just so thrilled because Mallory, Mal, is an RD to be, so fun to say, RD to be, I just love it, and a delightful human with a big heart and a big mind, as in she's very smart, and I appreciate that. She fuses her elevated education on health with experience to share easily digestible, no pun intended, yet true and impactful nuggets of wisdom on health and wellness, and she really hones in on different digestive issues that women can face, especially bloating, which is why I made that easy-to-digest information joke pun back there and I'll touch more on this in a bit but she's just she does this through she's just phenomenal in how she shares her information on her Instagram at Mal's Fit Kitchen and on her YouTube channel at Mallory Page or just Mallory Page I don't I'm not the best with YouTube and then recently through a free guide that she created to understand and beat your bloat that's why I made that bloating digestible information joke I'm sorry. I'm not a comedian, if you couldn't tell. Anywho, (laughs) sorry guys. I have to amuse myself because when you're talking into a microphone by yourself for multiple hours in a day, because I I pick one day to do all this stuff, like you've got to do something to make yourself laugh and hope that somebody appreciates it. So stick with me. In today's episode that you will soon be listening to, we discuss all sorts of things from how she first got started in health, how that relationship with health took a downhill turn for a while, how that led into her decision to become an RD, and also how the decision to become an RD affected her disordered eating, like, and vice versa. And I ask this question because I know I personally, and I've had other people message me and, like, mistaking me for a nutritionist or something, and, uh, I, I wish, but no, asking, like, if, if I, or I've heard other people ask it too, like, if having disordered eating means that going for an RD or a nutritionist degree is a bad idea, or if it'll help, and so I was curious about Mal's viewpoint on this, so she does share, and I think it's just interesting to learn, like, if you've ever wondered, will that worsen or benefit disordered eating? And Mal shares her honest opinion on it, which I love. And in this, we discuss fads and trends in the health field. And Mal gives her input on, like, how she approaches them from her viewpoint of education and knowledge, which I love. No internet fluff here. And then in this, it's just the idea of understanding why diets diets are not the answer. We debunk food and health myths and also how to work through diet culture around us. So I do this thing where I ask Mal questions as though I'm someone coming to see her for assistance. Like I'd say like, so what do you say to someone that's afraid of carbs? Or what do you say to someone that's, you know, gung-ho on trying the keto diet? And Mal gives like what she would say to people, how she would coach them through it, and I thought that was super insightful because I personally do not align with the keto diet, um, and obviously I love carbs, so when people come up to me and say things, like I had a, someone at my, I waitress, and someone today ordered a hamburger, and she's like, but no bun. I thought like, oh, maybe she's like gluten-free, 
And then I asked, like, what side she wanted, and she was like, ugh, well, I guess I'll be bad and get fries, but I can't have a bun, too. And I was like, oh my god, I was about to bitch slap her. Like, really? Are we not more progressive than this? Like, let's stop the food shaming. Like, oh my lord. I just, maybe I was overreacting in my mind, but I don't think so. Anywho, but yeah, so it's just, (laughs) it's a fire conversation, and I'm so excited. Also, the part I love the most is we discuss emotional eating, which is something I've struggled with so much, and I plan on sharing more about this soon, because it's something that in the past probably like three months I've really saw in myself is emotional eating. Uh, You know, I've never really like I don't know. It was just weird for me to finally see, like, emotional eating in, like, a different light. And Mal gives an amazing analogy, comparison, whatnot, about how to understand, identify, and work through emotional eating. And I just, it hit home for me so much because I struggle with it. Mal shares how she struggles with it. Like, I think it's something so many of us can struggle with, and uh, you don't have to struggle alone. I'll just say that, okay? So, lots going on, and if you want to learn more about Mal, find more about her amazing self and all that she does, she's on Instagram at Mal's Fit Kitchen, and her YouTube is Mallory Page. I'll have everything linked below, and don't forget... She also has a free guide of understanding and beating the bloat, which you'll hear a little ad slot for right after this, I believe. So stay tuned for that. Find the links below and you can connect with me on Instagram at thrive underscore on life or at Emily Feichels. I might be changing my handle. Stay tuned. (laughs) I'll update links below. You can also find the podcast on Instagram at let's thrive pod wait, shoot, I might have just changed it. Anywho, look at the link below and you can find the podcast on Instagram. And as always, if you love me and the show and want to show some gratitude, if you'd like to subscribe, that is amazing. Just like we all love our followers on Instagram, I, as a podcaster, love my subscribers because shows dedication and shows that my work is hitting ears all over the country and world, actually, um, which is amazing. And you can always rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, but you don't have to. That's up to you. I'll leave it to you. Either way, I hope you enjoy and chat soon. Below, a five-letter word that brings dread to nearly everyone I know. It's an issue that I've dealt with for three years now, and I know so many of you have as well. I'm happy to announce, however, that my dear friend Mallory Page has created the ultimate guide to beat the blow and finally understand why it's even happening. As an RD-to-be, Mal is extremely passionate about all nutrition aspects, but especially when it comes to helping women work through their digestive problems, and most importantly, that five-letter word, bloat. I think we've all been to the point where we're googling 101 reasons why we're bloated and none of them make sense, yet they all do make sense, so we wind up confused and frustrated and mad that we've wasted yet another hour on our phone. That's why Mal put together this beautiful guide to help you discover the why behind your bloat and how to remedy it. I got a sneak peek at it and absolutely love it. The guide is brimming with information, tips, and tricks to understand and beat the bloat all in a chic design and completely free. That's right, F-R-E-E, free. If this interests you at all and you'd like to check it out, find it via the link in her bio on Instagram at Mal's Fit Kitchen. I'll have it linked below as well. So, well, to jump right into things, would you mind giving just a little bit of an introduction into who you are and what it is you do, and then we'll jump into all the fun stuff. (laughs) Okay, so my name is Mallory, and I am basically on the final stages of my journey finally to becoming a registered dietitian, so I'm so excited about that because this whole process is 
kind of funny because it takes so long that people don't really understand it. So it's constantly trying to like explain to people what you actually do. But essentially, yes, I'm just on the journey to becoming an RD. So I'm in my dietetic internship currently at the University of Oklahoma. And I'm also trying to kind of build my own business and foster that on the side. Learned over time that I'm really passionate about helping women, especially work through their kind of disordered eating. So that's something I've been working on and trying to kind of create supporting content because I just don't think it's talked about enough. So balancing all of those things right now, but also having a really fun time kind of just even being on my own a little bit out in a different place. You learn so much about yourself being alone. So it's been really fun. Well, and in that, you know, you said you have your side things you're doing and you have a YouTube and you do these amazing videos on it. And then also on your Instagram, you talk about just so many topics that are near and dear to my heart and connect with so many. And one of them, and one that I've like, I think it was one of the reasons I like first found your account was just like you talking about bloating and some other like, like your skin issues and things like that. So where did your health journey begin? Like, did you have something that happened in your childhood or teen years that prompted you to start being like, start living the, you know, quote unquote healthy lifestyle. And then that led to wanting to be an RD. Like where did that all begin for you? Yeah. So it's funny because when I was younger, always growing up, my mom actually, and my dad too, but my mom especially had us eating really healthy and she wasn't crazy about it. Like some parents where they wouldn't let you have anything else, but our whole house was healthy. And I despised it. Like I would go over to my friend's house and be like, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to eat all the pop tarts and all the stuff. So it's kind of funny. But then my junior year of high school, I started working with a trainer and we started doing a lot more with my nutrition And it was a really positive shift in my life because I saw my sports, which I was pretty competitive, start to really elevate. And I also just felt better. So that's really what prompted me at that time to want to become an RD and kind of go throughout this entire path. And throughout my journey, I've had ups and downs and struggles that have led me to become passionate about these different areas because I think there is truth that you need to learn things and you do in school and education, but a lot of things that you learn are also through personal experience and then researching that on your own to figure out these different topics. So I try to share kind of the side, the thing that people aren't always teaching, you know, about the topics, because I think we get inundated with all this scientific information or even just information for people that isn't accurate. And I want to try to get that perspective that not everybody is sharing so no I I appreciate that and I think that's what I do like about you and your content is because I you know I I'm smart but I I can't do like high science and (laughs) reading about like some of these functions in the body I'm like you know what I can't do that and then it's like on the other spectrum you have these like famous influencers just like written out crap. And I'm like, okay, well, why is this good for me? And I need some sort of happy in between, which is what I think you provide because you have the scientific knowledge, but you have the personal experience. And so you're just speaking to my soul. And I think that's why so many people connect to you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so nice. That's exactly what I hope to do. Just because I feel like when I was going through, I did both spectrums. Like I went full science, but I also went full like influencer believer when I was younger and neither of those I think are really the answers and sometimes it's hard to merge the two in a way that people understand so I'm so glad that you feel that way because that's always what I'm hoping to try to convey to my audience no I love that and and you did mention you know previously that you have this desire to help people going through disordered eating and as you just mentioned you've been on both extremes so you know, working in, and you explain this, you have a YouTube video about it too, which I just absolutely adored. And so how did you work through that part of your life? Like, how did you come through disordered eating to be an RD and like come to a place where you're comfortable, you know, like not every day is perfect. I'm sure like nobody has that perfect balance of whatnot. Like thoughts can always creep in, I suppose. But, you know, how did you work through that? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I think that this was definitely the most influential part of my life and my journey. And I always try to share that 
Now it took a really long time. I probably started to develop disordered eating tendencies by the time I was going into my senior year of high school. And I wouldn't say I fully even kind of started feeling like I had recovered from that until the second semester, probably towards the end of the second semester of my senior year of college. So it takes so much time, but the hard thing about when you're an RD or when you're going into a field is most people that go into it are very type A personality. And I'm like such a type A personality person. And after I got out of sports, I kind of had this shift where I realized, okay, I don't even have to perform anymore. So I can pretty much just go exactly for physique. And that was kind of where my problem started because when you're only working out for your physique and when you're only eating for your physique, it's not fueling the rest of your body, your health, your mental health, your just living life. So it took me going through a lot of ups and downs with that because I went from basically never doing anything, never going out, never really doing anything but exercising my freshman year of uh, college. And then basically my sophomore year becoming like a binge drinker, binge eater, and just a really healthy version, un- version of myself, really unhealthy version of myself, not healthy. And then by my junior year, it was like this balance between the two. And that's when I developed horrible anxiety and you just can't balance all of those things. So when I started to finally work through that, It took me really getting into myself. And I think what we want to do is we want to highlight, oh, well, it's just this food or it's just the way I'm exercising or any of those external physical things, but really it's an internal problem. And that's the hardest thing to deal with because you have to really go inside yourself and say, why am I doing this? You know, why do I feel this need to control my eating? And why do I feel this need to binge when I'm not in control? And it's just, that's what you have to be able to pinpoint. And it's different for everybody, which is why it's so hard and so unique. And also what inspires me so much about working with people that are going through this because every scenario is different. And it just bothers me so much that we try to give blanket recommendations to these people that are going through this because it's impossible to do so. So I could, yeah, I always go on a whole soapbox about it. But but yeah, that's kind of how I worked through it in a way. I know that's not tangible steps per se, but just doing the things that I loved and returning back to the things that I believe in and doing more of what, you know, set my soul like on fire or made myself happy. That's really what led me to starting to recover. And it is still an ongoing process. I still have thoughts about it. And even like the other day, I had a thought about oh, I shouldn't have that because I didn't plan it in my day. But that's really just something you have to continue to work through and recognize. So, Yeah, I mean, you said it wasn't tangible advice, but honestly, that's what I was hoping you would say is everything you just did because I too, for the longest time, just, it was always searching for that external thing of what can I, what can I do better? Or what can I remove? Or what can I add? What can I change about my external life? to solve my problems, you know, to quit, quit this habit or whatever. And it wasn't until probably, you know, this past year when I realized like, wow, if I actually take a minute and look inside, like what's going on in there. (laughs) And I think that has been the, you know, best advice someone actually had given me was to look inside and ask myself, you know, like, what am I feeling when these, when, you know, when I am restricting? or if I do have like a binge, like what am I feeling inside? What are my thoughts? What are my emotions at the time? And I mean, yeah, it's, I think that's the best advice you can give anybody is to, it's, it's hard, but look inside and try to go from there. And, you know, I am curious at any point along the way, do you think studying to be an RD made the issue worse? And then like, on the flip side, was there anything about it that maybe helped you out of that situation? Yeah, I do think that studying to be an RD, it can be challenging. I think that this is actually, sadly, a very prevalent issue within people that are RDs. And a lot of them are able to recover from that, but there's also a lot that are not. 
Um, and that's something that's hard to deal with. And I, I think you see that in a lot of professions is that people go into it because it's something they were going through. And to, not to mention, like, or also to add that when people are an RD, they have a different expectation because everybody in society puts that expectation on them. So they're like, oh, well, you're an RD, so you don't eat cake. Or, oh, you're an RD, so you're judging what I'm eating. And so that's kind of the hard balance as well because you're constantly thinking, okay, well, should I eat this or should I not? And what are people going to think about me? So that's an external pressure that everybody else is putting on you that you have to deal with and figure out how to get through. But on top of that, I think a lot of people don't realize that becoming a registered dietitian, you also go through a very intensive education and the process to become one is not well understood and also just a little bit, I still think that we're trying to figure out a good way to do it because when I was going through my undergrad, I was doing all of the things. And although it was good for my resume, for my mental health, it was not great, especially as someone that needs time to rest. And then when I got to my application process, there's so much placed on your GPA and your experiences and what you do and being basically quote unquote perfect that then you have so much stress. So I think that perpetuated my issues and just even by that point, I was pretty recovered from my disordered eating, but I was trying to go through this recovery process and dealing with all that stress. And that just led to a less and less, a worse and worse relationship with myself. That makes sense. And I mean, the reason I asked that question is because it was a thought I had, you know, not even, or yeah, about a year ago. And I've seen it pop up every now and then where someone asks like, Hey, do you think I could be a nutritionist or an RD if I have a history with disordered eating or if I'm currently going through it? And that was something, you know, I had to question too. And I made the decision that I, I think in my case, I'm too, I'm too, too, too type A where yeah. I, I just, I need to take it part, you know, like I, I need to keep health as like a hobby. <laughs> I can't invest everything into it. And I think, you know, it takes people like you and I mean, I, I just have that most respect for RDs and nutritionists and everyone in that field. Cause I know I personally couldn't do it. So I, you know, admire you guys for going through it. And I think you are right though, that there's a lot of pressure put on you guys to, I don't know, per perform a certain way, like be a certain way. And everyone thinks you're going to be one way or another, but I mean, you're just, you're a wonderful bunch of humans. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're so nice. It's so interesting. You say that because I was even reading back um, on my old blog post because I'm in the process of revamping my website. And it's so funny to see my speak and how I presented myself back then versus now, because Truly, when I was so in that mindset, I'm a very, I have a lot of willpower as a person in certain ways, not in all ways, but at the time, I truly could not understand how people just couldn't eat healthy or couldn't work out every day. And now it's so funny because my, the way I speak about it is literally the complete flip of that now like the the very like the very speak that I don't like seeing is how I was talking so you grow and evolve so much and I know that at that point I would not have been a good dietitian and that's why you go through your education process but it is also the process of growing and learning and changing are you someone that wants to become a nutritionist or an RD because you are trying to deal with your own issues and you're not yet there, or you're someone that has gone through this and now you feel you're ready to share how you've done that. I think that's like the main difference between the two that I've seen. Yeah. I, I love that distinction right there. I think that's super beneficial. Like that, that question of really looking inside once more and asking, okay, what's my true intention by going this path? And I think it's also funny what you said about looking back. I mean, I used to be so judgmental and now it's almost to a point where I see people who are, you know, deep in the throes of orthorexia or something. I'm like, wow, how can they be like, quote unquote, so healthy all the time? Like, how do they have a life? And it's just funny how things shift, you know, like I used to be in that place judging others and now I'm, you know, coming out of it, I would say. And I, I can't, 
remember what it was like to live that way. You know, like it just felt like there was so much less to live for, I suppose. I don't know. (laughs) I totally agree. So I did want to ask you, you know, like I said before, what I like is that you have the education and you have the experience. It's like a perfect blend. So what would be, you know, this is just kind of a fun, it doesn't have to be like the number one answer, but what's a misconception or two about health, like general health that you have realized since coming out of your own journey and learning that you would like others to think about? I think the funniest thing about being an RD is that, well, this is for most RDs, I would say, that are now coming out, is that people think that diets work and that RDs prescribe diets, and diets do not work. I mean, there is a very small subset of people that can start on a diet and then evolve a healthy lifestyle from that, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do, but for the general population, diets don't work, and it doesn't matter if it's the keto diet, food combining, Oh my gosh. Um, Let's see. The carnivore diet that has now come out. And I'm not talking about lifestyles, such as like being a vegan or, you know, if you need to be paleo, different stuff like that. You can develop healthy lifestyles. But the problem with diets is even when there's scientific backing, say keto actually started as a diet that was supposed to treat epileptic children. And it's proven to do that. And even though it's proven to do that, it doesn't mean that it makes sense for adults. And even if there are scientific benefits, maybe they've seen like uh, better blood sugar control, it doesn't mean that they're able to do that sustainably. So what is the point? Even if you get those few benefits, most of the time what ends up is that people end up restricting so much to fit the diet and then they binge or they go all in or they then come back and like slingshot from the diet and go back even further from what they were doing. So I think that's the hardest thing is continually trying to teach people that no diets are not the answer. It's not going to into a healthy lifestyle. We have to, I say we have to address kind of why you're not able to live the healthy lifestyle you want because let's be honest, almost every single one of us know how to eat generally healthy. Like we know pretty much how to eat generally healthy. It's really the RD's role, I think, is to assess why they're not able to eat healthy and live the lifestyle they want rather than telling them exactly what to eat because most people have a general idea and we can give little recommendations and stuff. So I think that's the biggest misconception I've seen. No, I... I think that's so important because I can't, you know, I, I live in a small town and I mean, I swear every day I hear the word when I'm out about in town, you know, it's like some fad diet or like, you know, like, Oh, I need to eat a salad. And I'm or like, yeah, this, like so much diet culture. And I'm just like, ah, like, let me bash in my head real quick. Cause I don't want to hear this. <laughs> and it just makes my heart hurt. I'm like, ah, uh, if you just had somebody to show you like, this diet is not going to do anything for you and you'd be better off like lowering the stress in your life and drinking some more water than doing like yeah. anything else. Like, exactly. ah. <laughs> yes. And I think that's something too, that's been a little bit frustrating for me as of recently. And this is a little bit, I would say controversial, controversial because I've seen a lot that we have such a big division within even the U.S. And I've actually really appreciated being here in Oklahoma, being from places like Colorado and living in Arizona, recognizing how big of a problem we're having. And we have people that are living in rural Oklahoma that literally don't have access to food or even healthy food. And then we have people in L.A. that have access to absolutely everything and are trying to literally pinpoint every single problem in their life. and. I've seen a lot of people that kind of live in that LA lifestyle and especially nutritionists or dietitians, and they forget the bigger picture. And so some of them are recommending, oh, you know, no carbs, or you can only have a smoothie in the morning and just promoting really unrealistic things. And I think it's not their fault, but they're so stuck in that place. And we just need to remember that for the general population and for the people that they may be reaching, that's not realistic just because the science supports that or because that's what you're seeing works in your tiny, tiny subset of wealthy patients that don't resemble the rest of the population. So 
Yeah, I, some people probably wouldn't agree with me on that, but I do think it's just important that we remember that this is a much more comprehensive issue than just this tiny little percent of the population. Yeah, I mean, the way I see that is, you know, I'm known as the healthy person in my town because I, you know, I, I eat vegetables. No, I don't know. But people will come up and they, they're just like, oh, I could never be as healthy as you. And I'm like, really? Because if you try to drink a little bit more water, maybe you prioritize sleep and yes. maybe like incorporate uh, at least one vegetable in a meal a day and maybe yes. like a piece of fruit, which we have at our local store. It's not organic, God yes. bless, but it's, it's still produce. Exactly. Like, you would see change. And it's like, I don't, I used to be on the big kick of adaptogens. And I mean, I still do some of that stuff, but it's more so for fun. Like I, I like the taste or I want to experiment with it, but I'm a firm believer. I mean, like you get some fruits and vegetables and I don't like, it's like, I hate the word balance, so to speak, but I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I'm not about like the real extra fancy health scene that can be abundant in major cities or places like LA. So I definitely see where you're coming from because, you know, I am in a small town where we have like organic bananas and that is it. Like (laughs) I I live in that culture. So, yeah. And that's the thing that I think is just so interesting is a lot of these people that live in places that are more progressive like that, or they have access to everything. What they end up forgetting is that the amount of stress that they're having around their choices is actually so much less healthy than just eating what sounds good to them in that moment or what makes sense. Like, are you telling me you can't just eat, you know, a vegetable that's conventional over one that's organic? And why is that? Is it because you're truly stressed and scared about it? And what, what are you so scared about? Do you think that's going to make you die a year earlier? You know, it's just kind of interesting to think about why is the reason that we actually are scared? Because that's something I had to go through when I was testing my eating disorder recovery is evaluate, okay, so what is actually making me so scared of whatever it is? Say it was gluten. Why can't I eat this? What, what am I so scared about? And then when you start to think about it, you're like, wait, nothing is going to directly happen if I consume this. It's just all caught up in my fear and my stress around these foods and these food groups or whatever they are. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it exactly is asking like how much is, I had to do that a lot too. You know, I had a lot of fears or beliefs around things. And one day it just hit me about like, wow, I will not die if I eat this right now. (laughs) Wow, how fun. Like when you think about it, it's so scary and terrifying. And then you're like, wait, nothing is going to (laughs) happen. You know, the first time that I actually, I don't suggest this before I start, but the first time that I actually made the first step in recovering from my eating disorder, it was not planned. I was actually in Vegas with, um, on a weekender (laughs) since my sophomore year. And we woke up like six hours too late. And he was like, okay, we have to go get food now. And I was like, okay. And so we ran over to this place across the street. And I literally, this was my first time eating any sort of food outside my food rolls in probably like three years. And I had a piece of pizza and it was like the craziest experience I ever had in my life. And this man actually walked by and he was like, it looks like you haven't eaten pizza in three years. And I was like, I haven't. <laughs> and so I'm not saying that's the best way to do it. But at the same time, it was such a revelation to me that I could eat that food and nothing happened. I just like went on living my life, enjoying it. Now, if I ate that, since I can't have dairy, my entire face would break out in a rash and I would like die for three days. But at the time I didn't. And so it's just interesting because it was such a revelation to me to go through that. And it was so empowering. So it's crazy how when we just start to slowly break apart from those rules, how much better we start to feel. Oh, a hundred. And I mean, there's... (laughs) There's no better feeling than being forced to confront a freaking fear like that. Wow. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I probably shouldn't tell the story to tell people to do that because it's not the best way, but you know, it kind of shows. <laughs> it works. <laughs> now, you did mention that, you know, now if you had the dairy, your skin would just be 
killing you for it. So how, how did you realize you had these food sensitivities and how has that changed your life? I suppose. Cause I know, you know, they really take a doozy on you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, that was the hardest part is because when I finally started to come out of kind of my disordered eating patterns and started to heal my relationship with food and also decrease my anxiety, it was summer going into my senior year. And so I really started to recover and kind of get back to myself. And then I found myself so, so sick. I mean, it was so frustrating because I felt like I was doing everything right and yet everything was going wrong. And so my skin was chronically inflamed. Um, my gut was just terrible. I never felt good. I literally got sick probably three times, just back to back to back. And finally, when I went home over Christmas break, I went and saw a bunch of different basically healers and people to help me to figure out what was going on. And in the end, I discovered that I couldn't have the nitrates in pork. I was sensitive to dairy and I was also sensitive to gluten. And that was at the time. I, I always want to say that these things can shift, but for me, those were the things that were really upsetting me. And also random foods like tomato sauce, I can't have for some reason. And then like yellow squash. I don't know. I don't, I'm just weird. But so then when I started to take those out, I felt a lot better, but they always say that when you take things out, you also want to try every now and again to put them back in, unless it's super severe. Like if you get anaphylactic shock from gluten, don't have it. But when I tried to put dairy back in, I actually had half of a perfect bar and I remember it so clearly. And I literally within taking one bite, my entire face started to break out in this red rash. And the next morning I woke up with pimples. And for the next like three to four days, I had issues in the stomach region and in the bathroom. So let's just say that was a no for me. And then gluten is a little bit more of a mix. Part of me wants to try to incorporate it more because it's not as upsetting to my stomach. But it's kind of an ongoing process and it definitely is hard because I think people nowadays just think that they should just take out gluten and dairy and every other food just because they're having an issue. And a lot of the time that's not the problem. So that's the hard thing about food sensitivities is you never know how serious they are or they're not for other people. And then people put judgments on them because they don't fully understand why you're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel that. And, you know, for me, it was about seven months ago and I realized, so I haven't did, I haven't eaten dairy or gluten for a couple of years now. Cause I was like, it was before I was like having any health issues. So as soon yeah. as I took them out and then I tried to reincorporate them, I could judge automatically like, Oh, that does not set well. Um, it wasn't like as severe as your dairy one, but I could tell. So those were like already said and done. But then it was about like eight months ago and that was before I knew about like my hep C and like everything else. So my body was just like a mess. And I started noticing that, you know, it was just random foods I'd always eaten. So like tomatoes, um, bananas, almonds, and there was a few others. And I mean, I would eat them and I would like almost throw up. Like I'd have such bad acid reflux. Um, my bloat would be like, it's like you take one bite and then all of a sudden your stomach's like hyperextended. It's like, ah, I took one bite. Like you're not even in my like system yet. And, um, and you know, I would always, I, I know the idea of like, if you're stressed, it's going to worsen it. So I would always like sit down and plus like, I didn't want to think that I couldn't eat those foods. So I'd sit down and be like, yeah, I'm going to have some banana. I'm going to have this tomato soup all excited. And then boom, I get like bulldozed over by these symptoms. And I was so sad. And then, um, I'd say it was probably like three months ago. I started to reincorporate them back in and, um, tomatoes are still a no go, but otherwise like all those other foods, I eat them like a couple days a week and my symptoms are gone. So it's like, that's a case of, like you said, these things change. Like you might have to give up some foods for a while if your body's going through something. But there's always the chance that you can reincorporate them. So I think it is like, it's so hard. And I I don't suggest doing it on your own. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a crazy thing that people think that these things are steadfast and they never change. And that's just not true. I mean, 
so much of the time your body is changing, literally all the time, essentially, and especially the microbiome and your gut. This is such a huge conversation now, but sometimes there are foods that are feeding your bacteria positively and negatively, and they could be a quote unquote good or bad food. I mean, we don't like to characterize foods that way, but people think of them that way. And just because a fruit is healthy or a vegetable, it doesn't always mean that it's serving your body well at that point in time. And also, just because you have to take it out then, just like you're saying, it doesn't mean you have to take it out forever. But if you feel like you need a break, then you probably do. That's the crazy thing. It's, it's not easy. And I don't like how people just say, oh, just listen to your body, you know? And it's like, yeah, okay. But sometimes my body tells me to like eat six, five, 65 cakes, or sometimes my body tells me to not eat anything all day. That's not the right answer. So you do have to think about though, when you have a food, what is your reaction? And just because it's a healthy food or an quote unquote unhealthy food does not mean that you have to have a reaction that's good or bad. Like it's, it's just interesting how so much of the time we characterize foods by thinking they're good or bad and they, they should have that exact response in our body, but really our body is super unique and it will do whatever it wants. And you just need to think about how it really makes you feel and then act accordingly, even if it's supposed to be a good or bad food. I no, I, I like that. And I have an idea actually. So I'm going to ask you a question. Like, so say for instance, someone comes to you and they're like, you know, I'm afraid of carbs. Like I was yeah. told carbs are going to kill me and they're going to make me gain weight and they're going to do this and this and this. What would you say to them? Like coming from your expertise and knowledge in this field? Yeah, that's, that's actually a very common one, especially right now. And I think that first you need to kind of evaluate that deeper thing that we've talked about, but also people don't always understand what that means. So even if you allow them to figure out why are they so scared of carbs? Is it, is it just because someone told them that? And so they're confused. Is it because they have a fear of them and they have this control mindset around them? Cause then you'll act kind of accordingly. If you just need to help them work through the information and present, present them with the actual research around it and the actual true meaning around carbs, that's a totally different thing than working with someone that literally thinks that carbs are going to kill them and actually make them fat within one bite. So definitely telling them, okay, so why are you afraid or why are you scared? And then presenting them with, okay, so carbs are actually the energy we need. They're most readily used by our brain. They help us to feel energized and they help to power you through the day. So do you frequently feel tired when you don't have them? And then why, why is it that you think that carb foods are bad? And then asking them which foods, because sometimes people only think of carbs as you know, bread and pasta and all those things, but helping them to realize there's carbs in vegetables, there's carbs in fruit, there's carbs in everything except for pretty much protein. So you're essentially not going to be able to eat any foods <laughs> if you're actually scared of carbs. So I think then from there, just helping them to recognize the foods that they may feel comfortable with trying and then incorporate them and see how they feel compared to eating that low carb diet. And a lot of people that have been restricting carbs feel amazed when they actually put them back into their diet because of how much energy they actually start to have and how much better they'll feel. And the truth is everybody has a different amount of carbs they need because we all have different metabolisms and different exercise um, levels that we do. But also explaining to them that when they have carbs and they see quote unquote weight loss, that's usually just losing water weight because carbs actually are stored with water because they are stored as something called glycogen and that brings water in. Not to go too in depth with that because that's a little bit scientific, but just, yeah, helping people to understand actually what it means to have carbohydrates, why to have them, and then how can we implement them in, in a way that's not so scary to you or feels like you're going to gain all this weight and die if you have them. I like that. And so going off of that, Say, for instance, someone comes to you and they're like, well, what about the keto diet? I want to try the keto diet, but, you know, I'm not too certain about it. What would you give, what would you tell people as your, <laughs> your advice on that one? The hard thing is, is I am someone that if someone is really excited about something, I don't want to put them down. So at first I'll really try to understand where they're coming from and why they want to do it. And 
Because if they're really excited about the keto diet and that's the only way that they're willing to make changes right now, then I'm not going to tell them not to make any changes because the keto diet isn't probably going to be the best option. But what I can do is present the research and the information that I have about the diet. So, you know, it can feel a little bit restrictive. Here's the purpose of it, but here's how hard it can be to get into ketosis as an adult. And here's what we know about it. And also here's some ways that you could get these results that you want without doing it. Now, if they're really just like, nope, I just want to do the keto diet, I would show them a way to do the keto diet that is more balanced because there's all different types of keto diet right now. And so if you show someone how to kind of incorporate that in an easier way and they feel good on it, that's fine. But you definitely would want to have someone alongside of you working with you. I think if you want to do the keto diet, especially in a healthy way, because Doing it with a bunch of cream cheese and bacon, like some people will do, which I think is starting to phase out, but that is not going to get the results you want. And we've actually seen really negative results for people when they're doing diets like that, like increased cholesterol, increased triglycerides, all the health markers we're trying to bring down are actually going up, even in the healthy one, but still some people it does work. And so I don't want to say it's evil, but it just isn't the most sustainable for most people. So I would definitely just try to work through that with them to really see if we can find a different result. And if not, how can we do this in a healthy way? I love that. And the reason I ask is just because those are the questions I've had people ask me. And I'm like, first, uh, I do not have any medical advice to give you. And second, here's my advice on keto. No. Um, but yeah, I just, I love that because I think half the battle is, you know, when you're around people talking and diet talk or they're Mm -hmm. saying, it's fine. Like, you know, I can work through that. Like it doesn't bother me anymore, but it's hard for me to see them going through that. And so I think it's, you know, if, if you're feeling along the lines that I am, it's good to have those type of things that you can say to them. You know, it's like, why are you afraid of this? Or what exactly are you afraid of? And it's, it's like talking them through it because I think the, the times we change the most are when we make the revelation about ourselves. So it's like having someone ask those type of questions really gets said person or said self thinking, and maybe they can come to that conclusion on their own or whatnot. So yeah, I, I like that approach to it. And I think it is, like you said, I mean, you can't control people. So if they want to do something like that, you've got to respect it, but, you know, do what you can to educate them correctly and work them through it. So I think that is wonderful. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing. And sometimes I feel like when people ask me questions, like even in this interview, sometimes I feel like I talk in circles because the hardest thing about this profession and about giving advice is that it's so unique. And that's what I've struggled with even going throughout my internship and seeing ways that different people practice is so many people want to be able to give this blanket response to say someone's scared of carbs and you just say, oh, well, here's the research about it. That may touch someone that just, you know, was scared of the information they heard. But if someone's truly in the throes of disordered eating, like we've talked about, they're going to be like, I don't care. I already know that. I've already researched this for 20 hours. <laughs> and like, I just could care less that you told me that. I need you to help me evaluate deep down why I'm scared. So that's the hardest thing I think is exactly what you're saying is helping people to make that revelation, but not in a way that feels judgmental or scary. And you have to evaluate every single person you meet because we're all at such different points with our relationship to food. And we're also so attached to food, so near and dear to us that we feel personally attacked when someone attacks the way that we eat, which is crazy, but it's true. And that's why it's such a sensitive topic that I feel like I just talk so much about because I just never want people to feel judged by a professional. And I think a lot of RDs still do that. And that's really hard, but I think the field is moving in a new way. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, in my personal life, I've seen that where people, if I'm around, people have done this before where they it's almost like they're apologizing for what they're eating. And they're like, oh, it, like it's like as though I am so above them. And, you know, the fact of the matter is I'm like, dude, 
like you have a healthier relationship to food than I do. <laughs> like, you know, like sure what you think that you're not eating healthy, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, you know, you didn't waste eight, nine years of your life obsessing over it and letting it control your life. And I think, yeah, it's, I don't know. There's so many emotions attached to food and health and it just blows me away. Yeah. I know. And you know, that being said, how would you say, so I, I don't know, you know, you mentioned before that you had restrict cycles and binge cycles and all of that. And for me personally, what I discovered when I did dive deep is that food for me was always emotional. I mean, yeah. if I look back at, cause a lot of people, I feel like with disordered eating, we go through cycles of one extreme to the next. It's kind of like a yo-yo effect. And mm-hmm. if I look back at the events that were happening in my life, it's crazy how I didn't in the moment see what was causing, you know, my habits and my behaviors. And now I do see that. And I'm still dealing, you know, with every now and then emotional eating. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I think there was sometimes where I was using food to cope with my emotions instead of like facing them. So I'm just curious if you have any experience or like knowledge on why this happens like why why do we attach food of all things to our emotions like that yeah I think it's really interesting and I totally agree I struggle a lot still with emotional eating and part of the hard thing about this is it goes a lot of the time all the way back to even when we were kids or with our family's relationship with food I know my family, I love them, but all of us literally associate food. And also a lot of the times for my family, it was alcohol with celebration. And I mean, this happens all along and that's not a bad thing, but with celebration, but also with coping, also with feeling comfortable with uncomfortable situations, eating to make the situation feel better. So this doesn't only just happen in our life at that acute moment, but this is a chronic thing that we've developed over time. And it's just becoming kind of aware of that. And some people don't even think about the fact that our food's relationship goes that far back. I mean, it literally, it could be someone telling you when you were really young that you ate too much or like, wow, you eat a lot. And you, that person would never know that affected you, but it does. And then you feel this emotional response and it makes you look to that food as comfort or shy away from that food because you're discomfort. And you can see that and how people deal with it. Some people, when they're emotional, they're like, I don't want anything to do with food. I don't want to look at it. And then other people, myself included, I will literally eat food because I'm like, oh, for sure, this is going to make me feel better. And in truth, it doesn't. And usually your food is just a way that your discomfort is coming out in, like into a physical form. So that's kind of the problem is you have to think about, okay, where is my past led me from this? Like think kind of back to your family and all that stuff, not in a judgmental way. Don't go telling your mom, like you made my relationship with food, <laughs> but think about that and how that's affected you. And then when you're in the situation, I always try to catch myself and think, okay, why am I standing at the fridge with a bar of cute chocolate with the whole entire jar of peanut butter eating right now? Is it because I'm hungry or is it because I'm sad or feeling overwhelmed? And then sometimes even just that second, or sometimes I say, try to go sit down with the food that you're about to emotionally eat. And once you sit down with it, you're like, oh gosh, no. (laughs) It's so different than when you're standing at the fridge. And just kind of trying to think through that. And sometimes emotional eating is still going to happen. And I think it's fine. Just like you go out and celebrate and food is still a part of the equation. But if we're able to minimize it because we are more aware of what's going on, we feel a lot better about it. And most of the time then also when we do have those emotional eating sessions, they're not so extreme as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's me to a T. Like, you know, it's... and. I think the reason that, you know, I wanted to quit emotional eating so much is because it feels so wasteful to me. Because what I don't know about you, but for me, I would eat something in the flurry of emotion. Like, you know, I 
after a while I began to realize like, okay, this is definitely emotional eating. But then the thing is I would be so still caught up in those emotions that I'd finish eating and I wouldn't even feel content. It's not like you're done eating and you're like, ah, I want some dessert. Like I'm going to enjoy this. And then you're happy. You go on with your night. It's like, no, I eat half the cake. And then I'm so caught up in my emotions that I don't even realize, you know, like how much I've eaten. And then my mind's such a mess that my stomach automatically starts kind of like warning me like, oh, we're not, this stress isn't helping. And then it just kind of dampens my mood. And I was just like, this is such a waste of my emotional health, my mental health, like my time, my food. Like I want to enjoy my food and getting caught up in those emotions and just it's almost like eating blindly. Like I wasn't even focused on the food. It's like a distraction. And so, you know, that was a big thing for me. I was like, I don't, I don't want to live like this. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does happen now and time again. And like you said, sometimes it's okay. Like, you know, there's certain times where you are going to emotionally eat and that's fine. But I find like, I, I, I don't want to emotionally eat when I have negative emotions fueling that, you know what I mean? Yes. And I think this is really interesting and a, w- a good way that I found to correlate this for some people, and it doesn't always resonate, but a lot of what I said as well is that drinking can go along with this. And if you think about your emotional eating in the same way that you would think about emotional drinking, it can sometimes help to show the severity. So if you go into a situation, you're feeling a little bit emotional. I think a lot of people, if they're of age or if they're not, whatever, but if they have a drink because they're feeling like a little overwhelmed that day and they have one, they're like, okay, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that just because I was feeling emotional, but I had one, you know, I didn't go into it so extreme. And that's kind of like emotional eating. Sometimes we have that and we have a little bit more than we thought, or we do it for the wrong reason, but it's not negatively affecting our life in a huge way. But then when you start to take it to the next level, it's like, okay, so I'm feeling emotions. Okay, so now I have this drink, but it's still not gone. So I keep drinking and I keep drinking and keep drinking. Then next thing you know, you're completely in a horrible place. Most of the time you react in a way that's not strong. And those emotions still come back around because now you feel negatively about yourself. And then the next day you have this hangover because you weren't able to handle those emotions. And now you're just in an even worse place with where you were because now you're sad, hungover, and having to deal with the emotions. The same thing can happen with our food. If we just start going more and more and more and more into it, which a lot for a lot of people that can be a binge, it seems great in the moment because you're letting go of those emotions, you're letting go of control, but then the next day you're still going to have that same feeling of a hangover and you're still going to have even more guilt or negative feelings compounded on the emotions that you were feeling originally. Yeah, that I've, I've never heard it put that way, but that actually speaks volumes to me. I mean, you know, I don't drink, but I have seen how it affects other people. I mean, we all know how drinks affect people, how alcohol affects people. So that is genius because you never think of food in that way. You never think of like, you know, if if you have a huge binge, you might think of it as like a hangover situation, but even, I mean, even overeating, not, you know, like whatever you want to label it as like, yes. that scenario is just mind blowing to me. <laughs> like that hits home. Yeah. Like, I love that. Like that needs to be the opening quote. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm so glad it resonates because sometimes it's like everything resonates differently for people. But as someone that came from a family that has a lot of alcoholism and issues, it's, and also is someone that personally took that. And instead of dealing with my struggles with my alcoholic family, I just brought that into my own life. So I could try it out myself, myself right here. Um, it really resonated with me when I finally made that connection because alcohol has a way of really exemplifying and amplifying everything. And I think if we attach that to other things that we're doing, it can really show us how negative the effects can be in your life. Even if it's a something that's not as detrimental, like a food or exercise or whatever else it may be. Yeah. Wow. I'm just amazed. This has been like one of my favorite episodes to date. (laughs) Thank 
you. It makes me so happy. Well, before we log off, I did want, so why don't you just like let everyone know where they can find you on Instagram, but also your YouTube, like give your, give your pitch for that because I, I love it. I was just telling you last night, I watched a couple of your latest videos and I just put it on when I'm chilling and you have the best voice. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me so happy. That's like the biggest compliment ever because when I over listen, I'm like, gosh, is my voice horrible? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel that. I feel that's me with every episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, so I started on Instagram forever ago and then I actually revamped my account and I've been loving it lately because I feel like I've really been able to share my message in this past year so you can find me there at Mal's Fit Kitchen but I felt sometimes that the confines of Instagram you can get a little bit frustrated because everybody's talking about the algorithm or the likes and all this stuff and you know it's a fun platform to be on because I love connecting with people so like I love DMing back and forth with people and getting to talk to them about their life but it's not as open for creative expression. So that's why I wanted to create my YouTube. And I also think it's just so personalized on YouTube. And I feel like I really get to talk to people and on there, I'm just sharing about all things nutrition and kind of trying to be an RD in the space that's really giving real information about nutrition and wellness. So currently I'm really focusing on disordered eating, digestion, and then debunking nutrition myths. And then as well, I'm also just giving advice for future RDs in like some series and stuff. But I don't know. I just really want to show people that there is, there's a lot out there that is giving positive information, but that's still trying to come through. So I want to be one of those people that is sharing the information that's true, that's helpful, that's positive and cut through all the crap. Like when I scroll through my YouTube feed and it's like, lose three inches in five days from your waist. And I'm just like, why are we doing this still? <laughs> that's not real. But yeah, so you can find me on there. Um, I also share my eating disorder story on there. I know we touched on it some today, but it would probably make even more sense if you watched through that video. And I have some more videos talking about that too. I'm even releasing one. Well, it will be, it will already be out, but um, on binging and recover, like recovering from binging, kind of what we talked about today in a video that I'm putting up tomorrow. So yes. Yay. I've got to watch those now. <laughs> I know I'm excited. There is so much to take away from this episode with Mal, and I truly hope you found something that you related to, you learned, you want to take away, maybe you tell someone else. I don't know, but I just really hope you found some value in this episode, or at least a good laugh or two. <laughs> if you want to find Mal and more about what she's doing and what she's all about, go on Instagram and find her at Mal's Fit Kitchen. You can find me, oh, well, and her YouTube is Mallory Page on YouTube. Subscribe to that. So good. I watch her videos in my, like, morning routine. I, it's just, like, the perfect accompaniment. You learn something. Her voice is so soothing. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram at thrive underscore on life or possibly at Emily Feigels. I might be switching things up soon. I'm not too certain, so... Just as a disclaimer to all future listeners, I might be at either uh, account. I'll have them linked below. Truly hope you guys enjoyed this episode and remember to check out Mallory's, Mal's, remember to check out Mal's free beat the bloat guide. It is so informative and free. No better combination. As always, if you feel called to, please subscribe to the podcast. It would mean so much. Helps me know that you guys want to follow along, honestly. And if you leave a right and review, that's even better. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Search for the Let's Thrive Podcast and just let me know what you think. It can be about an episode. It can be about a guest. It could be about something you learned. I don't know. I just appreciate seeing them and they help the show so much. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.